I wasn't very good at resting in uh, my college years. I loved everything about where I went to college in Carolina. Loved studying, loved sports, all that. Whatever. Some of you hate Carolina, some of you love Carolina. It's not the point. But I loved riding on my mountain bike. And I can remember one day, um, I, I, mean, I had this ridiculously large book bag. Okay, it was like one of those red LLB book bags that you just, you shouldn't put that many textbooks textbook in one bag. But I would ride and it would kind of protrude from my back. And as I'm racing down by Keene Football Stadium on the brick pathway, I'm like, yeah, I got this. And, and, and I try to clear a branch. But the book bag is so huge that I clear it, but my, my book bag, which was known as Big Red by my friends who mocked me, like Big, Big Red like doesn't clear the branch, and I just fly off into the bark, I'm eating bark, it's like slow motion as people are like ah, laughing at me, and I just wipe out and the ram's head locked it. The wreck. And you know, it's a funny moment, but it was a picture for me and maybe you can relate to me, of a lack of rest. A lack of learning to trust the Lord with my rest. Because I pushed myself and drove myself to performance and took a good thing like our studies, academics, is a wonderful gift, and yet I obsessed about it and pushed myself to the point of exhaustion. And I was wrecked. I couldn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy my friends and community and even God very much in Carolina when I was just at Davis Library obsessing to get a little bit better I didn't know how to rest. And I would say to you, just to be very frank, it's not like that journey is done for me. I'm an anxious person. I'm a restless person. I'm a person that deeply needs a shepherd to show me what it means to rest. But here's the deal. You do too. All of us, in some form or fashion, whether you're weird like I was, my mountain bike with Big Red, or whatever you do or don't do to rest, we need help with this rest stuff, y'all. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 and think about the Lord and why we trust Him. The first two words of this psalm are just that, the Lord. Why do we trust the Lord with rest? We trust the Lord that He gives us time to rest because He's the one that created time. Right? We, we trust the Lord to take breaks in Davis Library while studying because He's the one that commanded us how to take a break and showed us how to rest. And He knows that our bodies were designed to need a break and to need rest. What has wrecked your life? What is currently wrecking your life that's pushing you to, to a point of exhaustion? If that's not you, who's the person around you that you see slowly eroding as they just can't stop? They just can't stop. I want to walk us through a couple of questions about this psalm. First, why do we need to rest? Where do we need to rest? Then when, um, excuse me, why do we need rest? Where do we find rest? When do we find rest? And how do we find rest? First, why do we need rest? 
We need rest because, well, we're designed for it, but also because we're a busy people. If you come from another culture outside of this American context, you probably detect it instantly. The incessant busyness, the failure to slow down and see community around you. What are we busy doing? It could be a couple of different things. It could be you could be busy dealing with the pressure exerted on you by your work, some team, some, some kind of situation in your life that is bringing down the pressure and you have to be busy to stay up, stay, keep up with it. Sometimes it's self-imposed busyness, like me at Carolina, imposing pressure on myself to find my significance with one more achievement, just one more thing that I'd be a person of importance. But other times... We're busy because we would rather distract ourselves with busyness than deal with our pain. It's just easier than grief. Regardless of what keeps you busy, the net outcome for many of us is fatigue and exhaustion. Everybody, anybody get tired here? Think about our culture. We pull all-nighters. Have you experienced an all-nighter? I mean, it's insane. Like, you have a presentation the next day, either because you, your, your work forced you to have to do that or you chose to do that. You're working through the night to go the extra mile, and the results can be delirium. <laughs> you, know, you become counterproductive. If you're like on a group project, you become short with your friends. And even if you do well the next day on the presentation, over time, the effect of that kind of living, it just wears your body down. So we need rest because we are a busy people and we face pressure all around us. So I've been reading this book called The Rest of God. I've been rereading it by Mark Buchanan. He quotes leadership consultant Wayne Mueller, who understands this busyness when he writes, I have visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, in the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there's a universal refrain. I am so busy. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. The more their lives speed up, the more they feel hurt, frightened, and isolated. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely feels light, pleasant, or healing. Instead, as it piles up endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes a standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. So I don't know what you're, I mean, you know, y'all have different seasons of life. Whether you're a student, whether you're just out of high school working, whether you're a seasoned veteran in your field, and your discipline. All of us understand what it's like where our busyness can even hurt the work we're trying to complete. Like, just go back to maybe a time when you were full of joy in your work. Maybe that's eroded. Think about all the things y'all have to tackle. Just in this room, all the different fields represented. 
You have people that work with transportation, homelessness, trauma, law, how to write a deposition, how to handle a client, how to bring thriving to a neighborhood, how to parent. All the different things that you do require energy and, and innovation and imagination. But your busyness, when it's devoid of a trust in your Lord, he says, stop and rest, can devolve in a bitterness and resentment to even have to work at all. So maybe you're angry, or at best, you're just in maintenance mode, going home at night, just happy to go through the cycle one more day, just get some rest. But there's, the things y'all are doing are important. Your call to so much more than maintenance in these incredibly important parts of our society, whether you're employed or not, working on your home, looking for a job, or carrying out that job. You're made for something more than just getting by with bitterness and coldness and callousness. So the problem may not be your work, was what I'm trying to say. It could be a lack of rest. And Psalm 23 gives us this window into a place of rest. Where unlike sheep who think we can do life without God, we have this invitation to come and feast and enjoy and experience the oil of God's hospitality slathered across your forehead. It's just a beautiful poem. The communion to which God calls us involves rest. So, you know, YouTube, looking up YouTube entries about sheep is pretty interesting. Uh, you got to look at these, some of these videos and see how dumb they are. I mean, like, you can find some that have put bags on their head to, like, feed, and they can't find out where they're going. They're just bumping around everywhere. It's, some sheep even can eat so much that they die. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty dumb. Right? And so we, like, laugh at sheep. But we're not unlike sheep in that we wander. We believe lies that the Lord did not tell us about ourselves. Like Dr. Halford's sheep, we resist and say, I don't even want anything to do with you, God. I'm running in the other direction like Mr. Halford's sheep did that day at the farm. We have occasions to lay down and rest, but we don't take them. But here's the hope. The hope is in the two first words of this psalm. Say this with me. The Lord. The Lord. Lord. And so I love these poems. We're in a psalm today, and the great thing about the psalms is I don't care how you were feeling when you first walked in the room, when you sing a truth like the people of Israel would sing the psalms together collectively, your heart has the opportunity to be aligned to what's true. Because guess what? The truth and your feelings are often matched up. Amen? And so these are a gift for us to be able to sing together. I wish I knew the tune for Psalm 23. But it begins with the Lord. The place of rest for David is the very presence of God himself. So let's just like go shepherd mode for a moment. Think about like David's perspective as a shepherd. He knows about refreshment. He lived in Israel since he was young. He felt the sun beat upon him when the land is barren. He knew about how that water would fall, that valuable water through those limestone layers that would seep down into the earth and then produce this pasture of green 
He knew, he understands that sheep get tired. And this poem, and in this poem, he acknowledges that it is the Lord that guides him to the places of refreshing. This is, y'all, you got to track with me down. Through, just, let's get into the passage together. Look with me at verse 2 and see how David describes this Lord who he says is his Lord. Personal. This is my Lord. This is your Lord. This is the covenant keeping capital L-O-R-D Lord. I mean, this is the Lord. And he in verse 2 is your nourisher. Take that in. Look at verse 2. He takes the sheep to a place where they can find food and drink. He provides a place where sheep rest. The Lord is your nourisher. The Lord is your restorer. He waters and restores not just your physical body, but the core of your being, your soul. The center of your being. He's your nourisher. He's your restorer. He's your guide. Look at the phrase in verse 4. Guide me on paths of righteousness. How are you going to know what's morally right with all the different complexities of your work if you don't have a guide to get there? And it's in that place of rest that you can stop and slow down. Not thinking about work, replenishing your soul and your mind so that when you go back on Monday, you have a different perspicacity to see what God would want for you because he's your guide. And verse 5 says he's not just your guide. He is with you. He's with you. He is your companion all the days of your life. When you want to overfunction like me with big red on my back, that burden of performance and sense of striving, he gives you a rod and a staff to get you back on track. A rod to protect you from believing the lies in your head and the lies in your heart that demand, like a slave driver, you must work harder to perform to be significant. Hard work is fine, but working to a point of damaging yourself out of this overfunctioning is not healthy. The lie that says you must produce more to gain significance. You already have significance. You're a child of God. The lie that says you have to prove yourself in a world, even if that means sacrificing your body, your family, and your sanity. God takes his rod. He's, he beats that away. As you stop, you remember what is true, that the Lord is with you and he loves you just because of his character. Not because of what you produced. The Lord uses not just his rod, but he uses his staff to guide us in our emotions, which can wander right real quick like those sheep into danger, dangerous places of isolation. If you're believing the lie today that God's not with you, I want to just say, listen, that is not true. As you sing this, as you take this in, as you digest it, remember that the Lord is with you. Nothing can take away that withness from you. The amazing thing about our God is that He's so intimate and He's so with you that He's in calls the Holy Spirit to indwell your heart. That's pretty close. That's pretty intimate. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your host. In the ancient Near East context in which David is writing, Israelites would slather the oil of hospitality on your head and you would smell wonderful and your face would glisten. Like, y'all, you see it in one another. Some of you have known each other for years. When you are not believing the lies, that you're not significant, and you know that you're a child of God, you glisten. There's a joy about you that the Lord provides. 
even in the midst of crippling pain and tragedy. The Lord is your cup filler. Look at verse 6 in the ancient Near East as well. You don't prepare a meal, a meal like this with someone unless they're in a close relationship with you. The Lord is near to you, filling your cup. Now I want you to do this. I want you to just look to your right, or if you can't look to your right, look to your left. If you can, just look behind you for a minute. Just look behind you. You know what's behind you? You know what David said is behind you? Goodness and mercy chasing you all the days of your life. The English doesn't quite capture it. The Hebrew is better. It's not, it's not just that, you know, it follows me. It's chasing after you. The Lord is coming after you. He won't let you go. Nothing can separate you from his love. His goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. But most of all, which I, what I want you to see again, go back to the first two words. The Lord. Say it again. The Lord. The Lord is our ruler and our king, and he governs time, he governs work, he governs rest, and he guides you. Why? For his name's sake. What's that talking about? His glory is at stake in the way that we delight in him and rest. His name's sake points to his character. Your resting points back, redounds back, and says, I delight in you, and God is glorified as we enjoy him. Why do we need rest? Because we're busy. Where do we find rest? In the very presence of the Lord himself. But I want to ask a third question. When do we find rest? When do we find rest? One of the things repeatedly you will hear Chris and Giorgio and I emphasize that the problems of this world, the brokenness of this world is not only because of sin within you, but the fallen world without you. Like stuff, there's stuff going on in y'all's lives that's not about your sin. It's just disease. It's frustrating things that you didn't sign up for. It's sins like done against you, not just you sinning against them. There's a lot of stress and fatigue from stuff that's done to us, not just stuff we do to others. And the scriptures really give us this freedom to explore all those things. People that are sin, we are people who, are sin, who sin and are sinned against. Sometimes we're just frail. Sometimes we're just finite. Sometimes we're lots of different things, but it can be tiring if you get what I'm saying. So what I want to talk about is these valleys in verse 4. If you go back to the text. We, we find rest even when we're walking through valleys. Even when you're walking through valleys. Think about the valley that you're facing, have been facing right now. It's been a hard year for many of you. And then 2019 as well. David, when he's tending his sheep, would provide shade for them inside a ravine or a wadi. Like it's like if you picture the sun coming down, David knew how to provide rest for his sheep. When the angle of the sun was in a certain direction, he would walk through that great cavernous wadi and the, the sheep could, you know, it wouldn't be like the sun beating down on them. But guess what else is in that valley? Sometimes a bandit who will kill you, a robber who will destroy you, or a bear that will eat your sheep. So David understands what it means to walk through a valley of a shadow of death. I mean, did y'all hear that song Ryan wrote? Ryan Newcomb about Samuel? I mean, the pain that their family has faced is not unfamiliar to many of you. And if it wasn't that kind of pain, it's all kinds of different pain. When I, just look at verse 4 with me. When it says, even though... 
When I think about pain, the pain that you face, the pain that I face, I don't really like those words even though. I'd rather the verse read, if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I'd rather the Bible said, if you face trials, not when you face trials, because that means I got to face trials and I don't like trials. I like things to go as planned. I like all y'all to get along and I get along with you and we're all good. You know what I'm saying? But the world is, it's, the world is broken and our lives are broken. It says, even though you walk through valleys, the reality is that for us, though, that in dark places, God offers rest. Verse 5 is crazy. Look, enemies are still present. When God offers a feast, there's rest in the presence of your enemies. So, I would never be so cruel, as I've said to you before, to explain your suffering and why it happens. But I know it's happening. And I, we know from this passage that God is with you in those scary, dark places. God may not take away the scary circumstances, but he'll never leave you alone in them. And that brings, that's an occasion to sing and find some hope, even when life is dark. We'll stop here. I just want to, y'all say this with me, say, so what? You know what I mean? It's always important to think about, like, what's the di- what difference does this make in my life? And so our final question is, you know, how do we find rest? What does this mean for your life? There are a lot of answers to that question in the scriptures, but one which we'll highlight today is just, let's just talk about Sabbath and what that means. The word Sabbath means to rest. Say rest. It means to cease. Say cease. Sabbath is this one day in seven. If you're new to spiritual things related to Jesus, it's this day where you don't have to do stuff that you normally do so you can rest and renew Enjoy friends, enjoy family. It's called the Sabbath. It's referenced in a book of the Old Testament called Exodus, where God gives these commandments, which are not to destroy you, but to free you. God's commandments are like this giant field that you can run in. Sometimes you can't even see the fences because it's so amazing and fun to run wild in them and enjoy life. But on the other side of those fences is damage, the potential. And He protects you from that. As by God's grace, we follow his law. And so he gives us these pictures in the Old Testament of making not only like people holy, but time holy, setting aside time one day in seven for us to rest. It's a time when you're free from compulsion, from doing all the stuff that you usually have to do. So I want to leave you with a couple of just practical categories In the framework of Psalm 23, our days of rest. So like some of you don't take Sabbath on Sunday because you work on Sunday, right? Like Chris and Giorgio and I, we work on Sunday, right? So you could take your Sabbath on Friday like I do. You know, it's but the important point is the space that's carved out for you to celebrate who God is, to be restored, to receive his guidance. I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you. It's just brainstorm for a moment you guys the sabbath gives you this freedom to play with your friends throw a football enjoy one another enjoy great food help other people enjoy food by coming over to your home come to this worship service you're made to dwell in the house of the lord forever and you the lord is with us in this time 
I mean, how many times have you like walked into this room if, you're, if you've been around a while and you just were grumpy and then you sang and you're just you're in a different place after that? Like that's not like immaterial, y'all. Like that's God is shaping us by the Sabbath renewal and rest. Invite people over. Study nature. Some of you are like, oh. others of you are like, yes, I want to study a Bradford pair. You know, like it's just amazing, North Carolina. It's just so much beauty, beauty to behold on a hike. I, I'm a biology nerd from my formal training. I don't get to use it much in these sermons. You don't want to hear about the Krebs cycle. But like, I do have one illustration for you. Uh, I had a biology professor I read about in this book, this uh, book by Mark Buchanan. And um, I love this because I do think of biology. And this guy had a sabbatical where for like a number of months he could travel wherever he wanted to to enjoy nature. And he went out in his backyard and literally for weeks he got so um, just enthralled and looking at blades of grass and, and little flowers and stuff that he only throughout his whole sabbatical got halfway through the backyard. That's kind of a nutty profession. You know, but like, it's kind of cool if you think about what we can do on the Sabbath just by being outside because when we see what God's created, we see God's power reflected how he designed it. And we're enjoying the good gifts he's given us. Not just being a workaholic and grinding yourself to death. Sabbath is a time for celebration, but it's also a time for restoration. The psalm reads, he restores your soul. Let's put the passage back up there. We have that. Yeah. He restores your soul. It's a day where you can read, where you're empty. You can be filled up by reading a novel just for fun because you don't get to do that during the week. It's a day where you can stop, laugh. Remember that goodness and mercy are chasing you all the days of your life. Sabbath is also a time where you can receive guidance. The passage speaks of... uh, him leading me in paths of righteousness. So some of you are managing important things. All of you are managing important things. Like you're literally an image bearer that's been mandated to steward creation. Fancy way of saying you got work to do and it all matters. And it's like managing wealth, properties, families, all these good things. But how are you going to know the wisdom of God, how to use your stuff if you don't know God? I mean, you know God, but are you enjoying God? Some of you don't know God, and I would invite you to consider what you're missing in this amazing God who loves you limitlessly. How do you know someone unless you spend time with them? How do you have freedom unless you go to the Lord of freedom? And I want to give a qualifier about what rest is not. It's okay to enjoy a movie But rest is not gorging on movies to the point where you numb your soul. I won't make you raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying. Rest is not binging on Netflix alone to the point where you're avoiding your family and loved ones. Rest is not escapism. It's okay to take a nap. It's not okay to overdose on naps to the point where you are withdrawing from community and you're just becoming hardened and cold. Rest is... You know, rest can involve reading the Bible and singing worship songs, but it's not just those things. It could be watching a movie or throwing a football. Again, freedom. Freedom in this day. Free, a day free from compulsion. The things that you're compelled to do the rest of the week. 
Think about the Sabbath. Like Now think about the people around you. Kind of look around you for a second. Just kind of get outside of yourself. You're thinking about you. How does Sabbath love the people around you? When you don't rest, you're grumpy. When you do rest, you're a different kind of person. God made you that way, right? Think about You don't want to miss out on the community around you by not taking in this, taking, you know, receiving this gift to rest. Consider this quote. And think about your loved ones. This person writes about all the times I never swam in a cool lake with my children, made a snowman or baked sugar cookies with them, lingered in bed with my wife on a Saturday morning, or helped a friend in need. All because I was in a hurry to, well, that's just it. I don't remember what. You, you hear the irony in this, right? So let me just push pause. Some of you in this moment, that, that feels like I, I failed. This morning, when you hear the scriptures open to you, and you read words like the Lord, you can bet freedom's on the way for you. That this is an invitation, not for you to beat yourself up over not spending time with your loved ones, but to see this great ravine of freedom that's opened up before that you can walk in in the shade of God's love going forward as a people that are free to rest. Like you're free. You're free in Christ to rest. We need rest as a busy people by being in the presence of the Lord and enjoying Him. Even when we walk through a dark place so that we can receive restoration, healing, guidance. And, and, and so we can celebrate. But uh, I want to remind you, if you hear nothing else, what gives you the fuel and the power to actually rest? You know what I'm saying? If you need help, say this, I need help. Say, we need help. We We can't even rest without Christ's power. And guess what? The lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for you. That you would have the fuel and the power to actually rest. You don't have to drum up rest. I mean, y'all, this is like, okay, so I was staying with some friends. And I was so looking forward to rest. I was there on a kind of sabbatical. And I had my dog, Tiger, with me. My family's there with me. And it's like 11 at night, and I realize before I can really rest, I'm going to have to take our dog out, you know, do his thing. And um, I have my, like, Adidas shirt on and my shorts, and I go out into the night ready for a beautiful full night's rest. I love these people's homes. I won't mention who it is, but they're, they're home. And uh, I go after I help my dog, it's about 11 o'clock, and... I go back to the door and I lock myself out. And we had just been talking about rest with our friends and they work very hard. Okay, they're super hard workers and I was not about to like wake them up. So I'm just like delirious, like what am I going to do? And so I go out on the trampoline and start trying to rest. You know, I'm like, hey guys, I'm just sitting here on the trampoline. You know, this weird dude on the trampoline sitting out there in his athletic apparel. And, you know, I try like different positions. It's just misery because I was so looking forward to rest and don't, don't have the chance to unless someone helps me. 
Uh, Jen actually looked out the window at like four in the morning because she realized she hadn't taken out Tiger the dog. And she saw us pacing and she thought, oh, he's with the dog. He'll come back in. And then she went back to bed. I'm like, no! But then the best part, y'all, I needed some help. And I went to the door just wondering, hoping on, a, just wishing on a star that I could figure out a way to get back in the house. And this is what I see in the doorway. <laughs> Their little kid. What do you do when you get up in the morning? It's like six in the morning. Their little kid. What do you do in the morning? Put on a Yoda mask. That's what you do in the morning. That's what you do. And just, there you go, right there. So he's looking at me and he's waving like this. I'm like, I won't say his name. I'm like, come help me. I can't get in the house without help. I can't save myself without Christ. I can't save myself at all. The sheep who was slain, Jesus Christ, the great Lamb of God, His blood was shed for you that you might find rest. Amen. So we're going to have some time to rest together right now by taking a meal that's meant to strengthen you for Monday morning. Rest. Lay down, church. Lay down and rest. Jesus got it. He's got you.